Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Mum Talk, hosted by myself, Emma Jolin, mum to Amandine, who was born in September 2018. If you are new here on this podcast, I share my journey as a mum from pregnancy to life with a baby, now toddler, sharing all the highs and all the lows. Not only am I joined by incredibly knowledgeable guests, some experts in their field, but also mums and dads sharing their experience of pregnancy and parenthood. As always, you can trust in mum talk to be honest real and informative and provide plenty of nod along and me too moments wherever you may be thank you for listening and enjoy being part of today's conversation hello and welcome to this week's episode of mum talk series 8 episode 2 this week's episode is going live early this week as it is my aim to share two episodes with you Please ensure you have read the show notes before continuing to listen to this week's podcast as it could be triggering. This week is Baby Loss Awareness Week, which is not only a time for parents, families and friends to come together, but also a time to raise awareness of how pregnancy and baby loss affects thousands of families in the UK every year. In August, it was an honour to speak to Jennifer, the founder of Teddy's Wish. Jen suffered the devastating loss of her son Edward in 2014. In today's podcast, she not only speaks incredibly bravely from experience, but also talks about hope, available resources, and what Teddy's wish can offer to bereaved parents. Jen starts our conversation by sharing all about Teddy's wish. I hope you enjoy today's conversation and if we are able to offer you some support of some kind whilst listening, I hope we can do that and we send you all of our love. I think it's just really important yes, to talk about why we set up our charity, Teddy's Wish. Mm. It, it was set up to honour our baby boy, Eddie, and Eddie was our first baby who we only got to know for a very short time. He was born on the 18th of January 2014 after a very long and complicated labour. But he was a very big, healthy baby boy. And we were just so overjoyed to be parents for the first time. Um, But tragically, that all changed in the early hours of April the 16th. So just three short months later, Eddie died in the middle of the night very unexpectedly and he was a victim of SIDS which is sudden infant death syndrome formerly known as cop death and in that moment our whole life completely shattered and on every medical test possible Eddie was a perfectly healthy thriving baby boy and we just weren't given any reasons I know that in some cases there are reasons why babies can die but for us we weren't given any reasons we followed all the safer sleep guidelines and he wasn't even an at-risk baby because he was a very healthy big baby Um, and we just found it impossible to understand how in this day and age the doctors still don't know how this can still happen and that really proved to be the starting point for setting up our charity Teddy's Wish. As I said we just couldn't understand how in this day and age and despite all of the medical advances how a perfectly baby boy, healthy baby boy could die and that really proved to be the starting point of setting up our charity Teddy's Wish. So we actually set the charity up for two reasons. One was that we were desperate to 
search for answers and to understand why. But actually also on our grief journey, we had met other bereaved parents who had lost their babies to to SIDS like us, but also to other types of losses. So stillbirth and neonatal death. And we quickly recognized that SIDS is just one form of baby loss and thousands of babies die each year. And we just felt that we couldn't prioritize our loss over other losses. And that's why we set the charity up to fund all forms of baby loss. But we also fund bereavement support too, because for us, that's equally important um, because it need, support gives parents hope to live their lives again, because sadly, we're not going to get the magic bullet answer to baby loss overnight and more families will continue to get devastated by baby loss and they will need support in rebuilding their lives again. Mm-hmm. So we equally fund research and support. And then the second reason we set the charity up was that Eddie was our first baby. And when we lost him, everything suddenly became past tense. So one minute I was, you know, I am a mummy, then I was a mummy. Chris was a dad. We were parents. We had a baby boy. Everything became past tense. And I just had this desperate need to still feel like I could parent Eddie in some way. And and that was really the second reason why we set the charity up is that it just allows me to still parent him even today. We have gone on to have subsequent children, and we have um, we have Ollie and Chloe. And I always say to friends that it's I still feel like I parent three children. I just parent Ollie and Chloe differently to how I parent Eddie. How did you survive? Um, yeah, I think that's a really good question because I always look back at those early days and question it myself. Um, because I think as a mother, as a mother, you always feel like, as a mother, you feel like you, you want to protect your children. And I felt that despite what everyone would say to me, all the doctors, I felt like I had failed Eddie and I didn't want to be here. I just wanted to be with Eddie and we, you know, I found it very hard in those early days to even contemplate a future without Eddie. But that's why the support side is so important. We were very fortunate that we had an amazing bereavement counsellor. We had amazing support from friends and family and my relationship with Chris strengthened because of what we went through and we made a promise when we left the hospital, made a promise that we would pick the other one up when the other one was down. And we also made a promise that we would make Eddie proud and we would live our lives for him. And we just, that that was sort of always in in our mind every day when we woke up. And we I just, I had to just get myself up and and just and, and, and somehow get through it. But it's a blur. It's a real blur those early days. You don't know how you get through it, but you it becomes about it's not about getting through the years. In the early days of grief, it's very much about let's just get through the next five minutes and then let's get through the next hour and then let's get through the day and then the day becomes the week. I think you have to really break it down into into very manageable chunks because otherwise it becomes so overwhelming. And so we, we we didn't put any expectations on ourselves. We, As I said, we were very lucky that we had good support. And that really kind of 
again, became a real driving force in the charity because I think we, we, we're acutely aware that not everyone has access to good support mm-hmm. and wanted to make sure that in our charity we give that support to other parents. And so, yes, yeah, so and I think friends and family found it, ex, you know, really hard. I mean, what do you say to, to someone who has lost a child? It goes completely against the natural order of life. Mm-hmm. So, and it's so unexpected. And I think, you know, friends and family do find it very hard. And actually, one of the things we did last year in the charity is we, this was through, you know, a culmination of speaking to other bereaved parents. We created a Be There Guide, um, just what to say to someone who's mm-hmm. lost a child. And it's a very simple guide, but, you know, in its most simplest form, it's about just being there, making calls, turning up, saying your baby's name, because that is so important. It gives it gives validation that your baby existed. And it's, I think, especially for parents who have had a stillbirth, because no one else has met their baby except for them and possibly close family. But when their baby gets mentioned, it, it's so important. Um, and and for us, it was, you know, the text messages were so important. Dropping food round. Mm. Remembering not just in the early days and weeks. A friend said to me, I know this is not about supporting you in the early days and weeks. This is going to be about the months and years ahead. This The grief is always with us. It, it just changes shape and time. And you learn to live with it and you learn to manage it, but it is always there with you. So things like anniversaries become really important. To know that my friends and family remember Eddie's anniversary makes me feel that Eddie is still remembered, Mm -hmm. that he was here and he still loved. And that is so important. That's so important for bereaved parents. Mm. So... That's that be get yeah that be there guide was just a really helpful sort of pointers for for friends and family who just don't know what to say or what to do. Briefly, for anyone's well, for anyone that's listening, where can um, where can listeners find that? That's on our website. So if they just visit uh, teddyswish.org. The other thing that we uh, we created quite recently, actually, in partnership with the wonderful team at Don't Buy Her Flowers. Um, oh yes, yes, Steph. Yeah, Steph is amazing. We we designed a baby loss care package with Steph. Oh, wonderful. And it was designed because people didn't know what to say or what to do. And mm. in the package is some lovely scented candles, some tea bags, and a book by our wonderful patron, Elle Wright, who wrote a book called Ask Me His Name about her son, Teddy. And the package can be sent by friends and families, you know, friends and families to, to, the, to the parents, just to let them know that they're thinking of them and they're not alone. And parents who contact Hedy's Wish, who have lost a baby in the last 12 months, who contact us directly, we will send a package to them for free to let them know that they're not alone. So that the support is out there. I think the hard thing is for parents who have lost a child is they don't always know where to go for support. Mm. Because... Speaking about baby loss is so taboo. It's it's just very hard to know where to turn. I think for us back in 2014, Instagram wasn't as big as it is now. I found support on Facebook groups. Um, I was able to find support on there. But I know there's a huge baby loss community now on Instagram today. So there there is a good social media presence 
for the baby loss community, but it's just knowing where to turn to and and how to find it because no one expects in life that they're going to lose a child. It's just you you don't ever expect it. Um, so yeah, so there is a, there is a great resource out there. And the other thing that we do as a charity is we fully fund a bereaved parents retreat each year as well for parents to have a weekend where they can come and connect with their babies, their lost babies. They can connect with other parents because very sadly, when you know, parents are really the only people that really understand what you're going through. And the weekend provides group therapy support. We do mindfulness meditation. We do yoga. It's it's a really restorative weekend. And it's apart from this year because of COVID, it's normally a residential. So parents can come and stay the night and they get they get things like aromatherapy, massages, Reiki. It's a really lovely restorative weekend for them. And it's fully funded by us. So they just so they just have to pay for travel costs because we want to make sure that it's completely accessible to everyone, irrespective of where they come from or whether they can afford it or not. That's incredible. We're quite proud that we can do that because there's not many retreats. I don't, not that I'm aware of, there's, I don't know any of other retreats out there that gets fully paid for, for parents. So that's incredible. You should be very proud. That's amazing. Yeah, so that so we have got that support, and we also provide bereavement counselling support. As I said, I've, we had an amazing bereavement counsellor, and was that provided through the hospital, or did you have to find that yourself, or how did you go about finding someone? I think it's really hard with hospitals. It can end up being a postcode lottery with bereavement. Really? Yes, and we've actually been involved with working with other charities on provide you know we've put funding in place for a national bereavement care pathway with other it's been spearheaded by other leading baby loss charities um led led by sans actually it's it's a complete postcode lottery so some hospitals offer fantastic support it's just it it totally varies regionally we were not given support we were given a leaflet to contact the Lullaby Trust, and they're they're a charity that we now work with. But in those very early days, and especially in that moment, you're completely confused and bewildered, and it's it's such a blur. You need someone to proactively contact you a week Mm. later, just check in on you and see how you are, and then offer the support then, because those early days is just shock and disbelief, and, and you sort of walk around like, just about functioning so we we didn't get it but we were fortunate that we were introduced to our counsellor through a friend who's very sadly had lost her niece and her brother had had the support from this amazing counsellor Jenny Thomas who's actually now a patron of our charity and she she provided a lifeline for us she really did and I just yeah I really credit her for the for giving us that hope um she can and she completely validated our feelings i think that was the other thing about i think the other thing about baby loss is that it's emotionally very confusing and bewildering it's and often it's hard to make sense of the world around you and some doctors see that as depression mm. like quick to say right get on to antidepressants and i'm not saying that i think there's always a, a place for medicine this is not me saying that you shouldn't go on medicine 
But what Jenny said to us is that the feelings you are having compared to depression, depression is often feelings that, you know, abnormal feelings in a seemingly normal world. Whereas what you're feeling are completely legitimate feelings. Yeah. Very abnormal world. Mm. Your whole world has been completely turned upside down. So she completely validated all those feelings that we had and, and really sort of reassured me that we're not, we weren't going mad and they were just completely normal. And I think that was just, that, that was so important as well because it's so hard to even explain those feelings to friends who have never experienced loss before. Mm. And, and I think family have this family, you know, my family just naturally wanted to protect us. They, they were just desperate to protect us and solve, solve the problem. But the one thing we wanted, they couldn't solve. We just wanted our baby boy back and they, and they couldn't solve that. So the support for us was really important because as I said, it, it just gave us hope to live a life again when we just didn't feel that life was worth living. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a hard conversation. I know it's a really difficult topic and it's it's not I'm not talking about our experience to scare people. I just feel that it's important to talk about it to educate. As a mum, you you know, you go through the NC, we we had NCT and I don't know, I mean not everyone goes to NCT, but we had NCT and we we were sort of living this you know the new parent life where you always get those new parent struggles don't you mm-hmm. I think three months is quite a sort of significant turning point as a mum generally I think there's a turning point in the, you, you feel like you get more confident I think as a when you're a first-time parent there's a lot of anxiety mm-hmm. about being a mum and I think when you get to three months you kind of get over that first hurdle so that was another thing just to sort of have that taken away from us just so abruptly and unexpectedly was I think just the fact that we didn't we still don't have answers just I think that made that our grief a lot more complicated um yeah and the research that is happening at the moment are they any closer now we're a few years on are they any closer to getting any form of insight into why it's why um, SIDS is happening or well actually the numbers are significantly lower than they were you know compared to the 80s um, mm-hmm. there was a huge campaign a back to, it was a back, it was called the back to sleep campaign yes. it was pioneered actually by Anne Diamond who had was a presenter and had lost her baby to uh, Sebastian to SIDS and she pioneered this amazing campaign because they, they there was a big correlation between babies who were sleeping on their front and and SIDS deaths so they they had this huge campaign to you know the back to sleep campaign and the numbers have significantly come down but you're still seeing around 250 to 300 deaths a year which are just 100 deaths too many so and and in our case you follow the safer sleep guidelines and it can still happen so I think today it's about it's about eliminating or reducing risks it's not about saying this will guarantee that you will your baby will be fine. Mm. It's just about let's let's just reduce risks. So make sure that your baby is obviously sleeping on 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 his or her back. There's nothing else in the cot. 
um, making sure the mattress is correct. We, with Ollie and Chloe, we were exceptionally anxious, actually, you know, having children after losing Eddie. And we used mattress monitors and nappy monitors to make sure that if anything had happened, we would have been alerted to that. Um, an alarm goes off after something like 30 seconds of non-movement. Um, and that just gave us a huge sense of reassurance. It was never going to give us a guarantee that it would not happen again. But I sort of, I always compare it to like having a an alarm in the house, a fire alarm. It alerts you to the fire, but it gives you the best possible chance to get out of there. Mm. So mm. our Russian hour was let's just give us the best possible chance. And it was the only thing that allowed us to sleep at night, just knowing that that alarm was on. And if anything could happen, you know, it would happen, we'd be alerted. And actually, Ollie was... Gosh, I mean, we had an alarm on Ollie till he was three and a half. And they say they saved one year, but with Ollie it was three and a half that I just felt confident to then take that alarm off. But I think very sadly, as a bereaved parent who's who have who's lost a child unexpectedly, we never go to bed with that safe knowledge that no. our baby's going to be okay. No. Just don't. We I always check on them before I go to sleep. Um it's just that that is just our new normal mm. now and you, you just learn to sort of manage it how did you navigate the emotions around making the decision to have more children I think I, I think because Eddie was our first child on the one hand it was good because it allowed me all that time just to grieve it it was all about Eddie in that first year of grief and I know that parents who have lost children where they've got other living children that loss can become quite complicated because yeah, they have to a broken face for their living children and then they have to almost compartmentalize their grief whereas for us we just completely dedicated that time just it was all about eddie and but i just felt instinctively this is just a i think it's just a, an instinctively a mother nature instinct that I just needed to be a mummy again and it was never to replace Eddie and I'm always saying I always say this that uh, you know Ollie and Chloe have never replaced Eddie it was just this desperate wanting to be a mummy still and it was very hard to conceive Ollie we conceived Eddie very easily but it took a long time to conceive Ollie I think I was just completely consumed with grief and in a way it actually made it harder because every month I got my period, it was like a double grief. Um, But we did finally fall pregnant with Ollie um, a year later, so a year after we'd lost Eddie. And we did it very... When Our feeling was that this is going to be a very different pregnancy and a different way to parent. It just will be. But we accepted that we would rather have the opportunity to still parent, even if it was going to be at the cost of, you know, it was going to bring anxiety because we just thought that would outweigh the the anxieties and and the worries and the fears. And someone once said to me, which is, I think, so true, that feelings can coexist. It was actually a very good friend of mine, Clara. She said, feelings can coexist. So you can... You can have those anxious feelings. You can have happy feelings. I call it happy sad. I I have extreme happiness with with Ollie and Chloe, but still sad that Eddie's not here. Mm-hmm. 
so it's so we called it happy sad and the pregnancy was very I was very anxious in pregnancy but we made sure we had extra support and extra scans I think my biggest fear in pregnancy was I was going to have a stillbirth because you become a statistic you just think you think the whole world is against you you think well that's it you know I'm now going to have a silver. So I was convinced that was going to happen. Um, so we had extra scans. Um, I had a pretty traumatic delivery with Eddie. So with Chloe, with Ollie, I ended up having an elected C-section. And I felt that that was important for me because it gave me an element of control. Mm-hmm. And and that's, that was the thing. I needed to feel like I could control something. And then for us, the real fear kicked in, obviously, when Ollie was born, because those first few months were, you know, we were on high alert. So we we did shift work, really. We kind of, one of us would always be watching Ollie, whilst the other one tried to get a little bit of sleep. And we just kind of rotated. <laughs> and we just had to do what we had to do just to get through those, you know, that those days, those months and that first year. And even when we hit three months, it wasn't like we were suddenly okay. Mm. We just, you just had to sort of learn to, as I said, learn to manage it. And actually mindfulness meditation was really important. It was just about kind of allowing us to be present, not worry too much ahead and actually just look at how we were in this moment. And I'd look at Ollie and think, he is breathing in this moment. He's okay. We're all okay. And I'd hold on to that. And that's, that's what really got me through, especially that first year. So, yeah, but it but it did create a lot of anxiety. And um, was it similar with your daughter as well? It, did, it There was definitely anxiety with Chloe, but I was probably a little bit more... I was a little bit more relaxed with Chloe. Mm. I still had the monitors. But when you've got... I, I, I had Ollie and Chloe, and I had to give attention to both children. When it was just Ollie, it was completely focused on him. But when you've got two children, it... the the attention spreads a bit naturally anyway and but I was still nervous and we still had a monitor and we still had um we still have a monitor with her but the with both children we were very lucky we had a there's an amazing program called the care of next infant program which we now part fund with the lullaby trust it's an nhs program to give parents extra support in pregnancy and beyond when they go on to have subsequent children after loss. So we had extra health visitors. We were provided with the monitor. We had this amazing um, paediatric passport, which was given to us at birth. So it meant that if we had gone to A&E in that first year, which we did a lot with Ollie because we got very nervous for everything, Mm -hmm. you go to to A&E and we'd show this passport and it was like going through first class. It was like we got we got special treatment. We were, you know, we were on the system as, you know, we were known that we had had a previous loss. And they were just, the NHS was just phenomenal and just really, really supported us. And we were just so thankful to them for giving us that extra support and reassurance. Um, you know, we had Ollie after six weeks. He was six weeks old and the alarm had gone off because it's a movement monitor and it was on his nappy. And I think it had just kind of come apart from his tummy. It just moved apart from the tummy because the alarms do go off 
but you'd rather have a false alarm and know that everything's okay. And so he was six weeks old and I'd just done a feed, I'd just breastfed him and he was in that sort of dozy kind of, you know, sleepy, um, about to fall asleep and the alarm went off and I just, we, we panicked because we thought he was looking a little bit dozy because he'd just had this feed. So we whiz, went off to A&E they were just amazingly supportive and they said they did all these tests. They said, look, he's absolutely fine. But because of what you've gone through, let's just keep you in overnight with 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 Ollie for observation just to give you reassurance. And I just thought that was just amazing. They, you just felt like we felt like we were completely wrapped in cotton wool, which is just what we needed. Mm. So we're just, yeah, so grateful to the NHS for their support. And do you talk to Ollie and Chloe about Eddie? Yeah, we actually, it was, um, you know, they're very young. They're four and two. They're very little. They don't really have an understanding Mm. of death, really. They don't really get it yet. And we had a conversation with our counsellor because we were very nervous. Chris particularly was worried that by talking about Eddie and what had happened to Eddie was going to take away Ollie's innocence. And what she said to us, which is just, it was, which is so important is that Eddie, he doesn't know Eddie. He he only knows life without Eddie. So Eddie's loss is actually our grief and not Ollie's grief. So he will be, he might be upset that we're upset, but he's not going to feel the loss of Eddie, like feel the loss of Eddie. And she said, you've got to be very, um, with children, you've got to be very sort of, you know, matter of fact and straight to the point. Don't be abstract with death. And don't say things like Eddie fell asleep and didn't wake up because that would scare the children because then they won't want to go to sleep. She said to us, the best thing you can say to Ollie, which is what we've started to talk about, is... Eddie's body stopped working okay. and they're no longer with us. And you did have an older brother, but he's very sadly no longer with us because his body stopped working and he's with us in our hearts. And, and obviously if you're religious, you can then say, if you believe in God, where he is. And, um, but that was how she sort of explained to us how we should talk to Ed, um, to Ollie. And, it's interesting, you know, he's amazingly perceptive and he picks up on everything. And he's, we have photos of Eddie and he'll say, that, that's my brother, that's that's Eddie. Mm. And we tree in the garden and he'll say, you know, he said to Chloe the other day, he said, Chloe, don't put the ball near that, that's, that's Eddie's tree, you can't do that. <laughs> and then he said something to us the other day. He said, um, he said, mummy, um, when you lost Eddie and you couldn't find him, Chloe and I saved you which is just, you know, amazing because he, you know, they did, they did, but it's in, you know, so he sort of picks up on things and Chloe's just that little bit too young. So she doesn't quite get it at all, but he's starting to understand. But I think it's really reassuring knowing that he is going to be okay because he, he's never known life with Eddie. He's only ever known life without him. Um, but you know, children are very resilient and they can go on to have very good lives. If, even if they do lose someone that was here that they did know, there is, you know, comfort in knowing that they can go on and still have very good lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for us, because Ollie and Chloe weren't here, 
with when we had Eddie, it's just a very different, it's just, it's a different feeling for them. Mm. I'm just going to skip back. Um, and obviously if this question, you don't want to answer it, that's totally fine. But did losing a child put a huge strain on your relationship? Yeah, I think I was terrified that we were going to break up. Mm. I had looked up online, you know, I was looking online and I saw, I don't even know why I saw, saw some statistic saying that you were more likely to break up if you had lost a child. Right. And, and I don't even know if there's any truth in it, but I just, I jumped on it and thought, well, we're completely doomed. And I got really worried about it. But actually, we have weirdly become, we've actually become stronger because of it. We were really united in our grief. You know, men and women do grieve very differently. Mm. And we quickly recognized that, but we also really accepted that. So men are much more action orientated than women. So they tend to want to go out and do things. So Chris, um, we had just moved into our family home. We'd only been here for six weeks when we lost Eddie. Yeah. And the garden had been completely untouched and we were always planning to do something with it. But Chris suddenly was in the garden um, mowing the lawn, just throwing all of his grief and his energy into the garden. And actually all the men that came to the house, my, my brother-in-law, all of their friends, my family, they'd all go, they all piled into the garden with him and just started helping him to transform this garden. And my sister fondly called it, and it still is called that today, the garden of hope. Because they, they just channeled so much of their grief into the garden. And we've got Eddie's tree there and, and for me, I was much more, I think women are much more emotional. Um, we do talk about our feelings a lot more. We're much more vocal about our feelings. And we just, it, it, healthy grief is actually the balance of both. You've got to have the action side and you've got to have the feeling side. That's a healthy balance in grief. And we would just, we just made sure that we would talk to each other we, we said at the beginning, it's so important we don't shut down. We have to be open and we have to support each other to get through this. And we will, ex and we will also respect each other's ways of coping. And for, for Chris, if that was him going into the garden and doing things in the garden, and that was going, then that was his way of doing it. For me, it was about crying a lot and having cups of teas with friends and family. Um, we went for long walks. But I think it was accepting that we both were going to grieve differently, but we could do it together. And and it has made us stronger. And we do feel very, it, weirdly, we feel really fortunate to have become stronger because of it. Not that we'd ever want to have gone through it to become stronger, but we do feel fortunate that we that we are stronger because of it. If there's a listener listening and they've been through something similar, what would you say is their go-to um, support system? So I think the first thing is that there's there's lots of support available from the big national charities that we work with. So we work with the Sand, with Sands and the Lullaby Trust um, and Tommies. They all have support lines and befriender services, so you can call them whenever you want to and, so, and some like sans have group support as well 
Petals is another charity that we work with. They provide fully funded counselling sessions for individuals and couples. But also if they wanted to contact us, because we have recently introduced a bereavement counsellor, we fully fund those sessions too. These can be remote. Um, We've introduced uh, sessions via Zoom. We were acutely aware that in COVID times, parents have just felt more isolated than ever because they couldn't even get out to see friends and family. And sadly, despite COVID, baby loss still happens. So those remote sessions have meant that we can get those parents the support that they really need. And it, and it doesn't matter where they are in the country, which is, which is great. And then, as I mentioned earlier, we also fully fund the bereaved parents retreat so they can contact us about that. So there's, there's lots of things available. Um, if they want to contact me directly, they can do that via the website. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. So we're, we're very accessible and we can always offer support from ourselves directly or we can signpost to the right support with organisations that we work with. Mm. It's a wonderful thing that you're doing. It really, really is the level of support that you're giving people, everything that you've talked about today. It must be incredibly supportive um and of course you having lost Eddie yourselves um and knowing how it feels thank you for letting me speak about it as I said I know it's a it's a hard subject to speak about but I hope that by talking about it we're raising awareness and you know breaking down that taboo 